0: Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org.
1: So this is the difference. He will go to any links for the prayer to be answered through himself. But once a position of intercession has been gained uh, and tested and proved, the intercessor can claim at the blessings on the grade, whatever is God's will for him to do. Now, there was a misunderstanding in my in my mind for this next paragraph here where it says that the Mr. How uh, talked about the divine healing. He said he had first gained case had to go to the altar because the first fruits belonged to God. Does anybody want to explain that to me? Tell me why the first fruits belong to God.
2: I suspect it's a form of tithe.
1: tithe. Oh, tithing yeah,
3: in the Old Testament, first
1: fruits. Okay. Go yeah, I know what it uh, it's the best it's the best of your crops, the first uh, the best of your animals.
4: Right. Yeah, He's right. It's a tithe on the first fruit that they get uh around Passover after Passover. You know, Jesus is the first fruit in uh when he resurrected, he he uh, was the first fruit, and uh, I guess the Jewish people would always take um, a certain amount of their first barley harvest at that time of year, uh, and they would offer it to the Lord. And I think it says in Leviticus that they're supposed to do that for for the first fruit holiday. Uh, yeah, Leviticus twenty one, maybe.
1: Yeah, I, I looked up first fruit in Google. <laughs> I Googled it. <laughs> Somebody said something about Google. Who's that? And. Uh, First fruit is what, uh, what uh, Philip said. Basically, it's the best of everything you've got, and it shows that you have uh, respect and honor to, to God. It's, uh, but the first fruit for healing, I could not understand. This, the, why this woman had to die for Reese's sake. Now, one thing he did, and I, and I said this last week, is he uh, told God, he said, hey, take me take this woman, let her live, take me. And he really was ready to go. And then God says, well, you, you've just joined the martyrs. You've given your life for uh, me. You're given your life uh, for this woman. And But he took the woman instead. Now, I don't, uh, I don't know all about that, but God did take this woman. They called her the tubercular woman. And, uh, Lord Radstock was impressed. He was a real rich guy who had uh, lots of influence and lots of money. And he was friends with the postmaster general in England. And that was a big, big job at that time. Um, He he, he, uh, was praying for his daughter. And his daughter died. And he was surprised by this. And he could not figure out why this had happened. And uh, that's uh, what happened, she died. And, and he said, I never knew why she, why she died. But this story about the first fruits came in, in, in from Reese. And he said, oh, that's, that's probably what it was. She was my first fruit. And that's, uh, that's what he said. So the Lord, and I just underlined this, at the end because I love this scripture and it's in Job it said the second page right at the top it says though he slay me yet will I trust him so if something bad happens to you that's a good verse though he slay me yet will I trust him and I think that's a, that's an important part of uh, all of us is we have to say well I don't, I don't understand this this doesn't make any sense to me but God has control, and uh, when, he, when he has control, yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead.
5: In 2012, I traveled to Brazil um, with my church, and I think that they might have trained, um, some of them may have trained with Randy Clark because their, their methods are very similar. And um, it was my first experience ministering healing in that way. Um, and they, I, to my recollection, they trained us once we were on the ground in Brazil. And we had meetings for 14 days, uh, sometimes two meetings a day. And there was one person in two weeks' time who I didn't see immediate healing. And I handed them off to somebody else, and they ministered healing to him. I saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of healings, dramatic healings. I had words of knowledge that were crazy accurate. I um, didn't know at, at the moment, uh, but I had the opportunity to minister a word of healing um, to someone. And if I'd known he had cancer, I would have backed off of the word. If I'd known he was the pastor of the church we were ministering in, I would have backed off. Um, If I'd known it was stage four cancer, believe me, I would have just piped down. But because language barrier and mere ignorance of the circumstance, I prayed in faith. This pastor was healed of stage four liver cancer like that. We ministered there on a Sunday evening. He got into his doctor's office for an appointment the next day. I don't know, it might have already been scheduled. By Tuesday, we heard he was cancer free. That was in 2012. But this is about this principle of first fruits. And this is giving me understanding beyond uh, something I could have understood. In September, excuse me, October 2013, so um, 13 months later, my mother, who had no history of heart disease, began to have a heart attack while I was on the phone with my dad up in New York. I was down here, they were in New York, and something, God had prompted me to call. At that particular time, I had dad on the phone. I said, mom said thus and such. He said, not hurt, never, no, 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 that's not how it is. Like, yeah, mom sent me an email and she said such and such. And he said, let me go talk to your mom. We'll settle this. So he walks down the hall, enters their bedroom. Mom's on the bed. And I hear her say, and I I note, you know, as dad's walking the hall, I'm like, wow, we've got a really good connection. Dad can hear me. Dad can never hear me. Oh, thank you, God. You know, God and Dad can hear me today. And I hear my mom as Dad enters the bedroom. He's clowning around making silly jokes. And I can hear my mom say, I think I'm having a heart attack. And Dad's still clowning around. And I'm down here bugging out. You know my personality. I'm flipping out. Oh, my God, he can't hear her. He can't hear her. He can't hear her. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And... I said to dad, "Hey dad, let me let me talk to her. Let me talk to mom cuz he's still clowning around. He doesn't he didn't hear what she said." He walks across the room to hand her the phone cuz he really did not tune in. And I'm 800 miles away. And he tries to hand her he he just goes to hand her the phone and he's finally next to her and you hear the dread wash over him. He realizes what's going on. And he goes, oh, boy, i got to get off the phone, honey. I said, Dad, you, you understand what's going on. Mom's having a heart attack. You need to call 911. He says, yeah, I've got to call 911. And, you know, I'm praying in my spirit, and I have to hang up the phone. But excuse me, she, she did say once Dad walked across the room, once he traded, he entered the phone. He, she said, it's my heart. Mom's a nurse, she's a first aid instructor, a CPR instructor. She knew what was happening. I got off the phone, dad told me later that, you know, they had a, a quick conversation where he's saying, how do you know it's your heart? She describes her symptoms, he's calling 911 to tell them her symptoms. And she says to him, I'm not afraid. I know where I'm going. And that's the last thing she ever said. But I'm here in North Carolina. I have seen hundreds and hundreds of miracles. And I'm praying, and I'm believing, and I'm praying, and I'm believing. I'm also expressing my personality and tearing around the house in front of my two spectrum kids, trying not to freak them out. But there's just no containing. My emotion because my mom is in distress. I know the ambulance has come. I'm sure she's gonna be okay because I've seen neighbors transported. You know, I've seen neighbors transported to the hospital and they come back, and I'm sure it's gonna be fine. But that was that was a first fruits. we the humility and knowing that God is sovereign. And a few, I don't think it might have been the next year, the anniversary of her death, or maybe the second anniversary of her death. I went back to God and said, "Okay, God, explain to me. Explain to me why. And at that time, what he said was, I'm never going to tell one of my children. They can't come home when they're ready. That was part of it, but also, the first fruits offering. So thank you for bringing that up.
1: Well, sometimes you know, sometimes we don't understand why God does things and what He's doing, but though He's slavy, well, I trust Him, and that's uh, that's what we have to believe. Now, I wrote a little bit about a hidden life and. I just want to read that second paragraph. It says, For three years after his daily work was done, Reese Howe had been in the mission every night. He went to church every night. They were meeting five evenings a week. And the other two were spent in, in, his, uh, in his work. No, the other two were spent in visiting his work in the pit. Now, the pit is the, is the mine. His work in the mine took him from 7 o'clock to 4.30, and then he had a two-mile walk each way in all weather. There was no time to attend meetings where he hardly ever left his flock, and during the week of the big, the big convention, it's called the Landronoid Convention, to which he, they took as many as new converts as they had or as, as possible. The work had become so well established that many people were coming in from surrounding districts, on Sunday evening, it was like a continuous revival. That's revival right there. Six days, five days a week, he was having a service, and uh, he was willing to do that. And uh, he thought he thought he was set. You know, he <laughs> this next one is called hatless. I. Out of respect, he he said, Okay, God, I'll take my hat off when nobody's looking, and, uh, and I'll pray to you when nobody's looking. Well, when he got around the town, he put the hat back on, and he wouldn't dare go hatless in the daytime because in 1904, everybody wore a hat. Now, I just watched an old 1933 movie, and they all had hats. <laughs> so in America, even as far as 1930s, people were wearing hats. So the men had hats all the time. So God told Reese, "Okay, you want to honor me? Go hatless all the time." Well, then he got a he got a uh, he got a. I sh- <laughs> Let me read it to you. It's on the next page. It says, "Give us giving up the mission." Right above that, "I shall." Never forget going through the town that day, passing people, going to outer, other churches, talk about being dead to the world. Every sensitive nerve in me was alive in the, the, under the world's influence. Let me put my, put my glasses on. I was not much better than a blind man. It seemed that the devil had gathered all the forces of hell to attack this simple obedience. In itself, there's nothing to it. I was only called to spend the day in attitude of prayer, and that meant a little, a little separation from the world. So he was going, and I tell this story to people who uh, don't know anything about Reese Howe. I tell them this story. He was willing to do what God told him to do. So God said, don't wear your hat during the day. So they were gossiping about him to not wear his hat? Oh, yeah, he thought he'd lost his religion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were his mother... Would actually dust off his hat and hand it to him, and he said, "I can't wear it." <laughs> so he didn't. He didn't wear it. <laughs> Amazing that he had to uh, had to do that. Now the vow, the turn of page where it says a vow of a Nazarite. Now I've, have you ever heard of a Nazarite? Anybody here? Yeah. Has anybody ever done it? I know somebody that did it. Is a young man. What's his name? I can't think of his name. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, Michael Escobar, he used to go to this church, uh, did this. <laughs> let me tell you, let me, let me read what you have to do. You can't cut your hair, and since God wanted him to look like everybody else, he had raggedy clothes. So his, And he wasn't allowed to tell anybody what was going on. <laughs> He was, uh, let me see if it did, I, I can get, no razor shall come on, on your head. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of his hair grow. You've seen uh, in the Jewish community, sometimes you'll see guys with the locks. He can't go to a dead body. He can't touch it. And if his mom and dad die, he can't go to the funeral. Wow. So, and he couldn't tell anybody why. So what do you think the church was thinking? (laughs) Oh, no, he's lost his religion. He won't even go to the funeral with his mom and dad. They didn't die. (laughs) Oh, this is a good one. At the bottom of that page, it says, My mother was in the crowd when I hung on the cross. The greatest victim the world has ever known. You tell me the real reason you're not willing to do it. Who was that? Jesus' mother was in the crowd. And uh, you don't realize, looking at pictures, what Jesus had to do. He had to do it naked. Totally embarrassing. And his mom was there. <laughs> he he wanted him to know that uh, that's not something that uh, was unique. He, God had asked him to do it. Now, if you turn it over here, it says, So I told him the real reason is that the influence of people will be too strong for me. And I'm afraid of being overcome by it. And God said, exactly. And that's the reason why I want you to do it. If there's no world in you, how can the world influence you? Has it ever influenced a dead person? You will be a Nazarite until all that is taken out of you. He also added, it's not a beard anyhow. Isn't it more natural for a man than shaving? (laughs) And he had to admit it was. So... Basically, he said the real reason is that the influence of people would be too strong. Now, what do you do when something is too strong for you? Anybody? Anybody know? You help. You say, "Help God." <laughs> Ask God to help you. He um, He will help you. And uh, there's a story about that uh, that I I cannot remember all of it, but God helps people that are in dr- in trouble sometimes. In fact, Reese Howell was uh, going to be an intercessor. And he was he was going to give his life up for his 10 children that this woman died and had 10 children. And Reese was going to do that. He was going to give his life for them, for those kids. And uh, he said, nope, I can't do that. And God says, do you want me to help you? He said, sure. <laughs> so he had five minutes left to the deadline and God took over. Now I remember uh, Heidi Baker and, and Roland started their, their ministry in Indonesia. Y'all remember little Jason? What's his last name? Jason Wall. He went to Timor as a missionary that he went on the other side. Timor is a real small island in Indonesia. And, uh, there was a lot of uh, things going on. They had a revival. There's, it's Muslim on one side, and it's Christian on the other. And they had a revival happen. Well, and, and Jason was on the other side. He was in the Muslim side. And uh, what, what was I talking to him about? Okay, one thing, it said called out of wage is the next title. Uh, I'll get the third paragraph. It says, remember this, you must never take a meal at home without paying for it. Or your brothers could say that they were keeping you. Now, what do you think his mother thought about that? His mother had been feeding him since he was a kid. And now he can't even do it. He can't, he has to pay her. She did. She was having none of it. <laughs> and she said, there's no way that I'm going to make you pay. You're my, you're my child and you live in my home and I do the cooking. But then she did. <laughs> she, after waiting on God for some days, she did it. She, she said, okay, if he won't stay here any other way, he was going to move out of the house if she did not let him pay. Now, You're going to find out later on. Next week, I want to talk about uh, the last things Reese Howe did. World War II came about uh, 1938. And Reese Howe prayed for places like Dunkirk. You heard of that? You You know the miracle there? They were brought. They prayed for 16 hours for that miracle. And we'll talk about that a little bit better. So, this uh, what well, this guy named Joe and I'll tell you the story down here where it says Madeira Joe was uh, he had TB now back then they didn't have antibiotics TB would actually eat away your lungs and you would start spitting up blood it was awful a lot of people if you get around a tubercular person uh, his that, he was uh, this is something some people say, well, I've heard of people not wanting to go to doctors because they're depending in faith on Jesus. <laughs> but that's not what Reese Howe did. After waiting on God some days, lest judgment should be swayed by his natural desires, he told Joe to follow the medical device. It looked like a lapse of faith, but God had told him that his steps and he steps in when natural uh, remedies have failed. So basically, God wants you, if you've got uh, something that will destroy a disease, unless he tells you take give it to your kids or, or take it. Use the medical. God blesses doctors. Uh, and God, uh, God blesses what we know. So unless God tells you, don't take that medicine, I'm going to heal you, then go ahead and take it. In fact, Joe was uh, living in the woods in a tent for two months, and at that time, God, uh, God sent somebody. Somebody sent a 300 pounds. Is that what it says 300? Yeah, 300 pounds. Or thir- was it a pound back then? I looked it up at Google. <laughs> it was four dollars. Yeah, so an English pound, and that's this is all English money, uh, was 400 would be four times that, right? Because it's $4. So 400 would be $1,600. $1, okay, Reese Howell said, what am I going to do with that money? And God said, what about Joe? So he goes to Joe's dad, and he says, hey, if you had the money, would you send Joe to a warmer climate? because the doctor said if he stays here, he's going to die. He said, sure, if I had the money, I'd take him to Madeira, <laughs> which is an island off of Portugal, south of Portugal. It's an island. So that, so I, I wrote a lot on this, but uh, I'll tell you look, he, went to, he got the money, booked a passage for Joe and he, and they went to they went to Madeira. And when they got there, a missionary actually met them at the gate. And uh, the missionary said, "Oh, you don't have to pay anything. You you can stay in a place called Sailor's Rest." Uh, Reese said it had more bugs than the, than, than Egypt. <laughs> Egypt was the flies and the lizards and the snakes and. Everything. I mean, all these creeping things were all over this place. There was nobody living for, actually, for months, maybe a year. uh, There was nobody living there. It would hold six people. It was about as big as that uh, section right there. It was pretty big. But the first night, Reese didn't sleep at all because of the bugs. Now, what do you think he thought of that missionary when there was rooms upstairs that Reese could have been in? He wouldn't be upset. (laughs) I'd be upset if the missionary did not allow me. I have a lot to say about his spirituality, right? (laughs) The missionary wouldn't even allow him uh, to come upstairs and stay out of the bug stuff. I don't know what he did after this, but the first night he couldn't hardly, he couldn't sleep at all because of the bugs. I don't know if if there was snakes crawling on there, lizards. I don't know what was down there. But the way he says it was that whatever happens in the in, the tropics when you let things go, that's what he had. <laughs> so he had uh, I don't know. He he said Peter had creepy things. Peter uh, remember Peter saw that vision. Is that Peter? Yeah, he saw a vision of creeping things, and so he said, "Well, Peter did it." <laughs> anyway, God got, God said to Reese, "Hey." You got to love that man even though he's treated you badly. Now, his, his word to him was if they treat you, the, they give you the third or the second best, you still love them the same. So, when, if somebody's treating you badly, what do you have to do? You have to love them. So, reluctantly, Riley really says, oh, okay. And he uh, was—he was good to the missionary. Now, I know that doesn't sound like anything. He's a missionary. He's supposed to be good. Supposed to be a good guy, right? <laughs> but he—he he didn't. Well, the missionary took it, but he thought he deserved it, <laughs> so he—he uh, he liked it. I liked the fact. And then Reese Howell said. And then God told Reese, uh, "He's going to be Joe. Is going to be healed in a month." 30 days. So they figured it out, looking at the calendar, and they found the date, and they said, okay, and they waited for that date, and when that date got there, 30 days later, it was six o'clock in the morning when it was supposed to be healing time, and it didn't happen. God did not heal him. Now, he really lost it. He, uh, He said, man, I thought God did everything on time. <laughs> he didn't mess up. Well, God, he prayed and God got to him and he said, you didn't send the letter saying that this had happened. You waited for it. You, you were going to do it after it happened, not before. So to increase the faith, he had to send the message to the, the homeland the Welsh, Welsh. And he had to send that message first and said, He's been healed. He is well before God would heal him. Isn't that something? Yeah, he had to, and he sent the letter and said, okay, God, I've sent the letter. Now, now what? This was on uh, Saturday. And Saturday, uh, Sunday morning, he was healed. He walked 18 miles with Reese. Actually went on a race with him and won. <laughs> that... Uh, he had TB before, yeah, That which is, he was, he'd never done that. He was dying, and and uh, his whole life was just.
3: Reese, there's a statement there the page where Reese was, didn't think life was worth living.
1: Yeah. He uh, yeah, he got, he got depressed. Now, Christians get depressed. Uh, Willie, where's Willie? Willie's not here. He's in a, on the other building. He told me, he said, "What would you what would you think? You would tell someone about Jesus and about being a Christian." I said, "Well, it's it's tough. Life is hard. And I, as I look out here, I know I know some of your situations, and I know life is hard. But God is 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 there, and He will help you through those hard places. So this is one of those hard places. Reese was talking about." Uh, Oh, God, you have it come through for me. But uh, everybody goes through it. And, and Reese would say, God doesn't make it easy, but he does it. Now, I, I will tell you, I was talking about Roland Baker. I don't know where I got off of that subject. But Roland Baker and Heidi Baker wanted to stay in Indonesia and do some more. They were winning a lot of people for Christ. But, the, but they had a band of eight people, and they didn't want to do it. They wanted to go home. They were getting homesick. So Heidi said, well, let's pray. And they prayed, and, and uh, Roland went to a, a telephone, and at 12 o'clock, he was supposed to call the bank and tell them that he didn't have any money. They're going to they're go home, okay? Five minutes till 12, a Cadillac drives up, a man hands an envelope to Roland, and he said, Merry Christmas. And he got back in the car. The check had $40,000. Isn't that something? I don't know where, I, I read that somewhere. I don't know where I read it, but... Uh, that yeah, that's... Uh, Is that like a mighty wind? Isn't that yeah, That that's probably where I read it. It's, it was a great, uh, great story. So God sometimes... I call him the last minute sometimes, the last minute God. I'm going to go ahead and heal you. At one minute till you're, you're not healed. But when you get to the time you are, your faith will be tested. And uh, so if somebody asks you, what, what, what's the hardest thing you have to do? And, and one of the hardest, and, and living a Christian life is hard. But it's not as hard as not living a Christian life. If you're living in the world, it's harder. because <laughs> You don't have anybody that can take care of you. Okay, Reese Howell, go to marriage and missionary call. I'll, I'll go into that. It says, very soon after the return from Madeira, Reese Howell married Elizabeth Hannah Jones. He looks a little better on the left <laughs> than he did on the right. But he got married. This woman had been his helper for years. They were going to get married, and God said, not not now. So they waited three more years. Can you imagine that? Somebody in today's world? Oh, I don't want to get married, but but I'll wait three years. <laughs> so they waited three more years for the for the marriage, but it didn't happen until then. So they, they got married. And, and Reese, this is a. It, this is, it's almost a, the third page page from the end. He lived a life of faith. He always maintained the principle of first need, first claim. And this man's need came a week before theirs, so he was sent money to have the wedding. People needed to to uh, fly. Not there wasn't any flights then, but uh, they needed to get to. To him and he didn't have the money. so he had a little a rule of thumb first need first claim. somebody came to him in very much need a week before the wedding. Now Reese, Reese had that rule so he gave all his money away to this person and trusted on God to, to supply him. Can you imagine that? <laughs> so you got a hundred dollars in your pocket. What his wife think? His wife to be. Yeah, I don't know. If she was with him, because she, she had. Uh, I'll tell you something more, uh, more than that in just a second. Uh, he uh, he said, okay. We're going to do it. So they gave the money. Let's say they had a hundred dollars, just for ease' sake. He gave the hundred dollars to this person in need. And he had nothing. He had family that was coming, and they needed money, and he had no money. How do you do it? That's where you get down on your knees and you say, "God, I gave them that they needed." we had a, a couple came in uh, yesterday here, and there was nobody here but me. <laughs> and they were they she had been here but five years ago she came to our church, but I didn't recognize her because. She had a COVID mask on, and uh, couldn't recognize her. But uh, I was thinking of this. Uh, sounds like they're in need. She says, yeah, we need money, we need clothes, and we need food. I said, man, <laughs> we get this a lot. <laughs> so I'd been thinking of the first need. So this woman had a need. So I took her back to the, the clothes. I showed her the clothes. I, she she uh, went through it, found something that was her size and began to take she took a couple of outfits i went took some box i went and got two bags of canned goods groceries and uh and then i i gave i gave them some more some meat and i sent them on their way and i told them thursday we have an 11 to 1 we have a, a what do you call it, food bank house of mercy so we this, these people were in need. So, and, and we had it. So we, uh, we gave them uh, enough to, to make them happy. She kept saying, now, when do you meet on Thursday? <laughs> so we had to have them come on Thursday. Now, the one, one of the greatest things Rizal did well, he he was going to go to Africa. He felt that God wanted him to go to Africa. They had a kid. The advice of some people is don't take your child to Africa because there's no doctors, there's lots of disease, and they usually don't make it. He... Uh, He and his wife were very perplexed about this, and he was not willing to give away his son. He said, I don't know, God, this sounds like it's too hard. So he prayed about it, and God says, give it, and he showed him the scripture where it said, whoever, anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And now the Holy Ghost said to us, you must prove to me that you love the souls of Africans who are to live for eternity more than you love your own son. Can, can you imagine that? Giving away your son. I told Jan about this, and she, didn't, she wasn't real happy with it. <laughs> so, not, now, you ladies, think about this. Your son or daughter, you would give them away. And go to because God sent you to Africa. It was a tremendous, tremendous thing. But this uh, guy's name was Samuel because that's what God said to call him. Samuel grew up at eighteen to twenty years old. He was. They came back from Africa after a tremendous harvest. They had a. They God said, "I'll give you ten thousand souls." If you give me your son, I'll give you 10,000 souls. So they get back from Africa, a very successful time, and he, he retired, and his son took over. Now, if you've never heard, uh, you've, uh, you've been under Reinhard Bonnke, right? If you've never heard him preach, Reinhard Bonnke is very anointed. Uh, they, he's had as many as 11 million in one service, Nigeria. So he went went to that school. So if there's no other way and nothing else that came out of that school, it would be enough with Reinhard Reinhard Bonnke. And uh, do you want to say anything about it? Because I know that you had some interchange with him.
2: So uh, this is... Uh, obviously, a man that lived a life that's poured out uh, to pursue the things of God. Uh, before I talk about Ryan Abanke, I want to comment on um, the man that was healed of tuberculosis that you alluded to earlier. Um, and again, because of the way God has wired my my thinking, and I believe also because of the call of God on my life, I always see faith in everything. Um, So back to that example, God told him that he gave him a date that I'm going to heal this man. And in order for him to act in faith, he wrote the letter that was supposed to go back to Wales, according to the story. But because he was acting by sight, I will send the letter after the healing happened. And so the healing didn't happen. So, the moment he acted in faith and sent the letter, and you know back then everything is by sheep and it will travel for months before the letter will get to them. And then God answered the prayer. So, I guess what I want to draw out of that is in many, many cases, if, in fact, when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, there are about 19 examples of individual uh, contact that the Lord had with people. That were mentioned by name, like Jairus' daughter or the woman with the issue of blood, examples like that. About 60 or 70% of them, Jesus will say, Your faith has made you whole. Many times we are waiting for an event like go to conferences where somebody anointed is preaching and things like that. And that God use, uses that. But if you're a child of God, you are in the house. You can get your miracle. You can get your healing. And there are some healings that take time. And there are many, many mysteries around that. Why does it take months or years before somebody gets their healing? Why doesn't some people get healed? Uh, We can deal with that some other time. But I just wanted to point out, you know, God was waiting for him to act in faith before the tuberculosis was healed. Now, coming back to... Uh, Ryan had I didn't even know that this man was instrumental in planting that school many times God will I mean God sees everything he sees into the end of time he sees a thousand years ahead a hundred years ahead so he knew that there will be a man that will be in that school that will find the flame of revival all over the continent of Africa Um, Like you alluded to, there are multitudes of conferences where there will be 11 million people in one service, 10 million people, 5 million people in different parts of my country that I came from and many other countries in in the continent of Africa. So this was uh, a seed that this man planted that many, many uh, uh, fruits came out of. So uh, whatever we are doing right now, even though we may not see the results, you don't have any idea what you are doing and what will happen you know, down the line. Maybe, maybe even 100 years from now that God will use that same seed, what Global River is doing right now.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, somebody might come to church, and they get saved, and then God will send them off to some other remote part of the world, and pff, they will find a flame of revival over there. So, you never know what you are sowing and the seed that you are sowing in prayer and giving and in, in service, what that would do, what God would take that to do. Um, it's part of what I'm preparing for, uh, talking about seed time and harvest. Um, just be faithful in what God has given you, and He will take it and multiply it.
1: Amen. And God is able to do things that we can't imagine if we're faithful. And, uh, that's, um, I want, at the, I'm focused, I think it's the next to the last page, third page from the end. It said, the time came for my wife to take a course in Bible training. We did not know what place the Lord would open up for little Samuel, who left it entirely in the hands of the Lord. We wouldn't have dared to interfere. Or we could have made the greatest mistake. So Reinhardt, not Reinhardt, but uh, reese would uh, get educated. He and his wife both believed in education. If you want to be a preacher, get educated. Now, they used current training for this. Now, you know, they had faith. They knew their, daughter, their son was um, going to be taken by somebody. And the last line says, a few weeks went by, and for the time for us to leave was, I sent, I was sent for by my uncle, a brother of the one who healed, was healed. His wife was head mistress of the county school. So he took, and I'll, I'll make it short here. She took his son and gave him to her. And God says, you cannot have any input in his, in his raising.'" it must be completely separate now that's really a lot of a uh, lot of faith it takes faith to to believe that god can take care of you even when your children are given and uh, something that uh, right something that the book said and, and i really believe just because it, god wants one person to do it doesn't mean he wants the other one to do it that's uh, that's really important uh, you can say, you can say, well, he did this. I should do it too. But that's not the way it's set up. God may have something different for you. Elizabeth and I were both guided to take courses in nursing and medicine, and the proof was that the Lord had to answer prayer in order to, in order to enable them to do it. Now, what he had to do was send money. Now, we're going to talk about this this man, Reese Howell, bought three castles, big, huge property where the school was, was going to be built. He, and what I used to tell people, and I, I still use this, uh, Reese Howe was told by God to build a dormitory for the school. He reached in his pocket and he found one shilling, which is about a dollar. No, the shilling's not a dollar. It's about twenty-five cents. So he reached his pocket. All he had in his pocket was twenty-five cents, and God wanted him to build a dormitory. So he said, "Okay." So he prayed, and and uh, and God still said, "Don't build, build the dormitory." So he he hired the carpenters, people who knew how to build, and he said, "I'll pay you Saturday." And when the thing was finally built, they had never missed a payment. It was built perfectly or good and well, and uh, he never had the money on Friday. Now you talk about faith! On Friday, you know, we'd all be worried. I got to pay these guys the next day, but he what he did was he said, "Up, oh, God, you're in charge here." If you want this built, you're going to have to pay for it. And he did. So the money would come, and he would pay the workers. What great faith he had. i tell you what, that's amazing. Like he always would say, don't let me be like Isaiah. Now, what was different about Isaiah? What did he have to do? He He had to lay naked, yeah. Can you imagine for three years, the crazy guys over there with no clothes, (laughs) and now we've got book, book of Isaiah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're not asking you guys to disrobe here. (laughs) Oh, one of the stories that really are. Uh, comes out, he was uh, buying a steamship ticket to Africa. That's what standing in the queue means. The queue is uh, standing in line, and he was waiting. He didn't have any money, so he's going to buy steam tickets for him and his wife to go to Africa, and he didn't have money, so he he went back and sat down on a bench, and he he was praying. He said, God, help me. God says, what would you do if you had the money? He said, I'd be in that line. He said, "Get in it." So he gets in the line, and started out with ten people, and pretty soon it's down to him and somebody else. <laughs> and he said, "God, I still don't have anything." And the guy in front of him turned around and says, "Here, take this. I got to go open my shop." So he gave him more money than he needed to do to get the ticket. It was about six shillings, which is I don't know how much money that is. <laughs> but uh, he got him a he got him a ticket, so he went to Africa on faith. <laughs> and I read I'll read it says, When there was only two before me, a man stepped forward, stepped out of the crowd and said, I'm sorry, I can't wait any longer, but I must open my shop. He said goodbye and put thirty shillings in my hand. It was glorious and the foretaste of what the Lord would do in Africa if we would only obey. Can you imagine? We, we need to have faith in God for our money. I mean, you don't... It, I, I always tell people that tell me, oh, I can't pay my bills. I can't tithe because I can't pay my bills. I don't know how many times I've heard that. And my, my solution is put your bills on the kitchen table, lay them out, and as soon as you get the money... Calculate 10% and then put it in, I I do the envelope system, put it in the envelope and then pay the bills that you have money left to pay. If you don't have money, just pray and say, God, I don't have money to pay the electric bill this month. Now, does that sound way out? That's pretty much the way we have to live. I always tell this story about the beats. (laughs) I hate beats. (laughs) my i was uh, I was only married for one year back fifty years ago, <laughs> so I'd been married, and so I didn't have anything in the kitchen. I get up It was on a Saturday morning, I get up, and I look in there, and it was nothing but a can of beets. That's all I had left to eat, as you can see, I haven't missed too many meals <laughs> I made it for you, so I said, ah. Oh, Don't have any money, don't have any food. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Some of you have. So at 12 o'clock, I don't know how I made it that long, (laughs) a woman knocks on our door, just drives up in front of our house, and and she knocked on the door, and she had two armloads of groceries and grocery bags. I said, what's that for? She said, don't worry about it. And she stuck them on the counter. Before it was over, it was 1 o'clock. We had 12 bags of groceries in our house. And you paid your oh, I bet The tithe was the first thing that came out. So God uh, used that time. I call it my story of beets. Anytime somebody says you don't have enough money, I just give them that story. I tell them about the Beats. Well, three years later, the Beats were still there. <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking for Campbell's soup or something, and I reached down, and I said, oh, gosh, there's that can of beets. So I took them and threw them in the garbage can. I didn't have to eat them. <laughs> that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> now, that was, that was, I have never had a problem with the finances since that time. And that's been 50 years ago. <laughs> and uh, the Lord has blessed me and Jan And we have both been blessed, and and we do, we do tithe. Okay, the last page, and I don't get in, the revival's in Africa. Now, remember, how many did God say he would give him? 10,000 people would get saved because he gave away his son. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Especially when God likes you, and he'll give the son back later. (laughs) They didn't know that. They didn't, they didn't know that they'd ever see him again. I mean, it was just uh, the belief that, uh, that they'd given him away because God said to. Their first leader, uh, you'll know who he is. It says the first president of the mission being Reverend Andrew Murray. Have you ever heard of him? Andrew Murray was one of the first ones. And when they joined it, the mission had 170 Europeans and African workers in 25 stations. Now, I don't know that we still have that many there. have uh, You ever heard of the Belgian Congo? There's been a lot of war there. Without, when Jesus leaves, <laughs> the country doesn't do very well. But he, um, they, they, uh, want, they wanted, uh, wanted Reese to be there. He, because Wells, Wales was in revival, they wanted him to come and talk to their people. Now, Randy uh, Clark said this. He said, if I had a missionary, missionary group like this, like the Murray had, he said, I would send the most hot pasture where the most deliverances and the most salvations are occurring, I would send them to a church that is really having a hard time. Why, why would that be? Yeah, it's just for the Holy Ghost. So what they did was they'd call Reese Howell and say, hey, is, is it going to happen here like it happened in Wales? And he would say, I don't know, but let's pray about it. And he would intercede for the for the whole church and he would bring revival. So he was in much demand. Uh, he was, uh, they would call him all the time. He had all kinds of tremendous healings and salvations. So God paid, for, paid, paid it very well. He, he pays well. I've noticed this. That God always pays better than anybody else. And that's crazy. I, if, 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 I'm, if I'm building something for God... I'm gonna. I'm going to say, okay, we have got fifteen dollars an hour for carpenters. I'd give them twenty dollars an hour, and say I'm doing this by faith, and I'm paying what I think God wants me to pay. So He pays better than than the uh, than the people do. Because that's that's a, that's a truth. All right, does anybody here have a, a situation? We're gonna. We got fifteen minutes. We can. We. Can, is if you got a if you got a situation where God came through for you? Is anybody here? Don't tell me. <laughs>
2: God, God's word is true um, always. Um, the last time I preached, I shared the story uh, very similar to uh, Reese uh, standing on the line and uh, getting a miracle uh, of coming to, to this country. Um, I don't know if everybody here was at the service, but uh, coming to the US, uh, we scraped and finally got the money for the one-way ticket to come to the US. And uh, nobody was expecting me. Uh, so all I had was my travel documents, and. I just had faith in God, uh, because at the time, I was already saved. Um, My family, I grew up in a Christian family. But uh, when I got to be probably 18, uh, I gave my life to the Lord, so I knew him as as my savior. So long story short, a few years after that, I got an opportunity to come to the US, but there was no money. Um, So we finally got the money for the one-way ticket. So on the day I was leaving, Somebody handed me an envelope uh, going to the airport, and I opened it, and there was a $100 bill there. And that was all that.
1: I can promise you that (laughs) if you decide to do something God has told you to do, he'll provide the funds.
2: Yep, he did. Uh, So I got to the uh, airport at JFK, and I I had a $100 bill. I called the number, and... And there was somebody on the other side. And so by the end of the day, that day, I had two places to stay. I had a nice ride from the airport and food to eat. And I remember calling my parents to let them know that I, my, this is my story and I'm OK. Because everybody was freaking out before I left. Like, what is going to happen to you? If something, you know, if you ever get there and you don't have a place to stay, please call us so that we can go borrow money to bring you back home. But uh, I'm here. Praise the Lord. You all know me. So God is faithful. Uh, you know, I, I, I resonate really well with that story of really standing in the queue and there was no money. And because God told him to do it, it. because he stepped out in faith, God will meet you every time you step out in faith. So if there's somebody here today, or those that are watching from home, you don't have any idea how God's going to do it. Like one man of God says, God can get $1,000 to you a thousand ways. Yours is just to believe him and just trust him. And it will open the windows. It will it will do it in a way that you will never understand how it's gonna do it. But God has a million ways to get a million dollars to you. So if we can just believe Him and trust Him, uh, and everyone that has ever done it, whether you go to Abraham or you go to modern Celtic people and many people that we are reading about, they are men and women that knew how to believe God, and. Every time they did, God always showed up. God is looking for faith in the heart of his people. So if we can stand and believe God,
3: God will show up. Maybe some of you know this story, but it's um, just triggered when, um, when I, after I resigned from GE and I became the associate pastor here for six years. Um, when I got here, and if you read the story of our, our history uh, that Mike Thornton had put together, Um, we're the third church on this property. So the Baptist church was going out of business, and uh, Steve Mattis, who's the founder of our church here, was at the Presbyterian church when his contract with the Presbyterians was not renewed because the Holy Spirit had fallen one morning over there and they weren't going to have that. So he came and uh, wanted to plant the vineyard church here and um, met with the board of elders. This church was going out of business. The Baptist church had sold off the property, got down to three acres. All they had was the parsonage, which is our Spanish church, and this sanctuary building. And uh, Steve was invited to come to the elders' meeting. They were closing the church down, and they one of the elders asked him, um, can you guarantee us there'll be a church on this property? He said, well, to the extent I can. So they voted, and they gave him the church for $3 and the parsonage. And so the vineyard church was planted here, uh, first vineyard church, first Spirit-filled church really in this region, I think. And so long story short, um, I'm on staff now, and for six years we're trying to decide what are we gonna do. Three times we tried, the board of elders, I I wasn't on the board at the beginning. Um, First they were gonna sell this building, sell the property, because it was worth something, And they were going to move to 10 Penn Alley, and we were going to take over, if Jennifer remembers, we were going to take over um, a strip mall up there. That deal fell through. Then another group of of, of, uh, buyers came in and said, We want to buy this land. Why don't you know the school that's right down here, half a mile down the road? We were going to actually, we're in contract, almost in phase, to buy that building and move, and that fell through. And so, then the board, at this time, I'm on the board, the board voted, well, let's bring in a, a company and, you know, will you make these pledges? So, let's get everybody to pledge because we had these GE trailers that were right outside here. That were, uh, We rented them for nine years, actually, and the wall on the trailer was so rotted, you literally could push your finger through the wall, and we should have gotten it. And so, we were frustrated, but we never had enough money. At the end of the year, we, we had just barely enough money to dig everything through. So, I become the senior pastor, and I'm under this contract obligation. They had paid $10,000 to go and get this fundraising group that's going to come and ask all y'all to pledge, and we're going to build a building on the site here. Well, one of my intercessors slash uh, accountability partners is washing his hair in the shower one day, and he, he said the Lord gave him a download and says, tell Pastor Tom he's not to borrow one cent, and he's to build an administrative building and he's to build a school building and set up to build a sanctuary building. So he comes and he brings me that. I'm like, "Okay, well, don't borrow. and he says, "Make sure you borrow no money. Don't you go down to some bank and and hawk this place and and so so I made an announcement. First I called up the contract people that were obligated to have them fundraise to get all y'all to pay them. And I said, "I don't have the money and we're not doing this contract. Well, you owe us this money." I said, "Well, That was the downturn. 2000, everything started crashing and burning. All the housing market crashed and everything. And so I went to my intercessors and I said, what do we do about this? We got this word. And so one of our business guys in town, pretty well connected, he said, I know some contractors that just want to keep their trades working. I said, well, what if we set up a contract that if money comes in, we clear the land, and then if the money comes in, we lay the slab. If money comes in, we build the shell. Money comes in, we put the AC in. He goes, yeah. So we contracted with NRL builders, and I said, if it takes us 20 years, and you gotta be okay with that. <laughs> so we laid that contract out. We started, it was $800,000 to clear the land, put in all the piping, all that. like we had to have one building, and like, but money came in, people started giving to that, and here was my test. Um, we had a progress payment that was due. We had laid the slab, and uh, the admin building was the first building being built. And Leifetlin came into town and gave us a prophetic word that we were supposed to go to Africa, to Tanzania with him. And um, so I, laid, I, said, I prayed about that. We got several confirmations, prophetic words. One lady at House of Mercy came in, sat in, and prophesied our ladies were going to be under the mountain of Kilimanjaro, and that got fulfilled. Anyway, so we're going to Africa with 30 missionaries, short-termers, who have to pay $4,000 each to go on this mission trip. Well, they're diverting their tithes, and they're giving money for the building fund because God told them to go on the mission trip. And so we don't have the progress money, we, and we're going to be in Africa when the next progress payment is due and the trades are supposed to start working. And... Um, One of my elders who was on the board, who was our financial guy, came to me and said, basically, I I believe you've missed it, Pastor. How can you go on a mission trip in the middle of a building program? I said, well, God told me to do both. He goes, well, (laughs) what are we going to do? I I packed up and I went on the mission trip. When I landed in Tanzania, my bookkeeper called me and said, you better sit down. I said, "Uh uh-oh. I sat down and she said, we just got a $250,000 anonymous check towards the building fund. We never missed another progress payment. We owe no money. We are, we are debt free on this property. And uh, God never wanted this property to be left or turned over. And he ma- that was a prophetic challenge. I got to tell you, there was a lot of, did I really hear you, God? We're trying to honor what you said. And, you know, there was, so I can relate to what Mr. Howells probably did. Yeah. He." I had a lot greater faith than I did, though, so
6: so um I'm Jennifer, and I was here back when Tom was talking about all of that um but but I was sitting there thinking about you know our pastors, both prophet and these these moments, you know. Um, but these moments are for all of us, you know, and, and the story is about Reese being, first of all, hearing God and then being obedient. And so I'm just a little person, um, but many years ago I, I left real estate. The Lord said, I want you to leave real estate and I want you to go um, start a home and a business for women in crisis and um actually my nephew was just a little boy we were driving down the road and we saw the place on prince's place and God prophetically spoke through him because my deal was i'm not going to beg for money for this lord how you know how are we going to pay for this thing i have nothing i just sold everything to, to do and the church helped but you know this is a major commitment and then he um he just looked at this building and he said, that's where your, your thrift store is going to be. That, yep. <laughs> and I didn't even know I was going to have a thrift store. <laughs> so, um, but the, cool, the, the thing that I was thinking about is, you know, the, the, the testing of that faith. Um, one um, thought came to mind. I had to sign the um, contract, the lease. And... I'm literally writing out the lease and thinking, "Oh my god, I have no money. I have no money. I have no money. I have no money and I'm I'm writing starting to write, well, this is what I'll pay you." And then someone called Rihanna, she used to go to this church, and she said, "Jenny, I think you need to come in here. Somebody's here." And so I was, I was really kind of disturbed because, I, you know, I needed to focus on what I was doing. How I was going to word this thing, you know. And I walked out there, and this lady just, she said, how much money do you need? And I was like, well, I don't What are you talking about? And she said, no, how much money do you need? And I had the lease in my hand. I needed a down payment for the lease or, or the, maybe I had the down payment and she, I didn't say a word, she wrote out the check for the exact amount that I needed. And so this ministry was started like that, but then God was so faithful all the time. I mean, I had an eye infection one time and you know, when you give yourself to what the Lord has called you to, when you say yes to him. Um, he will provide, I had an eye infection and, um, and, I'm, and I'm sitting there going, you know, calling to see how much it was going to cost to have this appointment to go to the eye doctor. And someone was driving down Prince's place. I never knew who this person was. They didn't know who I was. They passed our store. And he said, when he passed the store, the Lord said, turn around and go give them this check for this amount. And I was the only one in there. And it was the exact amount that the people on the phone was telling me it was going to cost. You know, and so God is, he is, he is so faithful. So I just encourage us all. And I'm so glad that we're reading this book and studying this book. Because it's so challenging me to get back to that place of that radical obedience. Because Reese Howe was no, he was one of us. And what God can do through him, he can do through all of us. And so I'm just so glad to be able to share this testimony to increase all of our faith.
1: So, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, he, he's impressed me, i tell you what. Do we ahead. still
4: have time for... Yeah, we uh, got two minutes. Okay. I'll try to be quick. Uh, well, when I was, I guess, about 19 or 20, my dad had bought me a car. It was a Honda Accord. And uh, I, he kept telling me not to run through this certain stoplight uh, near our house uh, because it was so dangerous. And I did, I ran through the stoplight and I had a car wreck and my, my father rebuilt the car. Uh, I remember he took it to the um, uh, repair shop and they said it was gonna be $5,000 to repair it. So he repaired it himself and was, I've always thought that was a uh, a really great, a good, great story. Uh, another uh, thing was with our kids, like uh, with David, they said that David was like in the 10 percentile uh, size range and they wanted to know if we wanted an abortion. And, and they said that he probably wouldn't survive. Uh, uh, and he came out, you know, perfect. So so got it right. And Hannah was sort of similar to where uh, uh, we had gone for a walk with the dog and the cat. And it wasn't a good idea because they didn't, um, they didn't walk very well together. And uh, Chrissy fell. Yeah. That's right. She she fell down and uh, we ended up in the hospital with Braxton Hicks. And she had planned to have a duel and, and uh, have the baby at the house, but because of that experience, we ended up having the baby um, uh, there at the hospital. And they said that if we hadn't um, hadn't got the um, C-section, that she would have died. So that, there's a lot of stories like that. I'll let Christy <laughs> tell you maybe about Florence or so I know she can tell you something too. Where God's blessed.
0: Um, I just wanted to share about Joshua, our middle, and his story to go to the school that he goes to. Um, the Lord spoke to me while we were out of our house for Florence. And he, he said, you need to go visit the school. And my reply to the Lord was, it's too expensive, Lord. I don't need to go, tra- go tour the school. And he was like, I need you to go tour it. So out of obedience, I made an appointment. I told Philip, meet me here. We're going to tour the school. And it's a school that um, with ch- children that have a learning difference, and it's very expensive, and um, you have to have like a diagnosis and all this stuff. And um, so when I went to visit the sweet, you know, director, she's telling me about it. And it's eleven thousand dollars, and I remember thinking, Lord, yeah, okay, I homeschool, yeah. And um, but he he kept speaking, and um, so we went and. Um, she said well i need to talk to the psychologist and this and that just to get a psych evaluation for your children is about five thousand dollars like to really like have it enough to where the school accept them and different things and he had went to a public school for about half a year and got the testing for free and it literally would have expired in a week so because of the obedience of going he not every child is accepted because they have to have There's a lot of requirements, like you have to have a high IQ, you have to be able to learn this certain way and things like that. Um, And so he he was accepted and I was in the car and the Lord spoke to me and I was in tears. Thank you, thank you. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I love him more than you. And I remember at that moment thinking, there's no way. (laughs) Like as a mom, I was like, I questioned the Lord's love for my son. I was like, no, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, okay, and that was the first step. And then I was like, we can't afford this. So I remember the phone call. But oh, we got the financial aid and it was about a fourth of it. And then I, out of obedience, Lord was like, you need to sign that contract. And it was like a whole nother mortgage payment a month to pay for him to go to school. But I remember telling Philip, God's gonna supply. I don't know how, but he's going to. If it's me going to work full time, whatever it may be, he's gonna supply. And about three weeks later, well, we went with Josh when he visited. He's like, yes, this is the right school for me. And I remember Miss um, Harrell, she looked at us and she said, and I just looked at her and said, well, I know the Lord's going to supply what we need. She said, the moment we left the building, it was like the hand of the Lord just came. And this isn't a Christian school. Came in and this person came in and started talking. And she said, within three, I miss three days, it like just went bam, bam, bam. I got the call and we had been awarded $10,000 for him to go to school and it was renewed. But... For two years, he only had two more years he could go to the school, and it was it was renewed um, both years. Like so, God is faithful if you're if you have that obedience and you just keep believing and interceding, He supplies
1: every Amen. need. He's uh, God is, is he's, it's tough. There were times when, when Reese Howell felt like he, he felt terrible. He was depressed, but but uh, God came through, and that's that's part of the test. All
2: right, I'll be brief, I unflinchingly take no prisoners when it comes to the precepts of God. I blot out all distractions and I take no prisoners to get comprehension of his word, and I see everything come true.
1: Amen God bless you. let's all stand. we're gonna go ahead we're about eight o three a little bit. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much for this time and uh, help us all to trust in you. Uh, do feel your Holy Spirit here today. <laughs> and I know that, that you're behind it. You're behind us teaching this and, and learning from this, uh, this man that you have put out there for us. Lord Jesus, help us to, uh, to grow. May the revival that's going to come Come in this church, (laughs) and whatever it takes, Lord Jesus, we give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.